just write what you want to write because there's always an audience out there. There's always an audience for what you have to say or the story you have to tell. Amen. And again, you and I can go, you and I can dive really deep and I, you know, I've helped, I've helped dozens of writers be able to complete a book. And it's a fairly easy strategy, by the way. And I wish most people would just employ it. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode in the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of the leading, leading writers of post-apocalyptic fiction in the world. He is truly a philosopher warrior, and he is one brilliant, brilliant guy. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary G. Michael Hopp. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, Nikki. Uh, wow, that's that's a great intro. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I got to tell you, I'm super excited that you're here. I was telling you before we got started with the recording that I found out about you and your work through the late, great Stefan Arneo. I'll tell you, this is a bit of a crazy story, okay? Three times in my life, God himself has spoken to me, all right? He cut through all the clutter and the noise. And the last time it happened was Valentine's Day this year. Uh, I'd been with my lady. We'd had a wonderful time. And uh, she went back home. She lives with her mom. Her mom, unfortunately, has dementia. Until all that's uh, figured out, we won't be able to tie the knot officially and all that good stuff. But she went home. It was late at night. I was tired. I'm lying in bed. And uh, I'm ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, God's voice cuts through the clutter and says, look up Stefan Arneo. I'd never met Stefan Arneo. I'd, you know, had a couple Facebook interactions with him. Um, didn't really know anything about the guy, except that he was a real estate entrepreneur. And for some reason, instead of going online and looking him up on Facebook, where I'd originally interacted with him a couple times years ago, I went on to Amazon, and the first thing that came up was Hard Times Create Strong Men. And I was, uh, I was just compelled to buy it. It was like God was saying to me again, buy this book. So I bought that book. It, it came two, three days later, and you know it's a big, heavy book. And I started to read the book. And I read the entire book in four days. And one of the key quotes in that book is this lovely little poem uh, from your book, Hard Times Create Strong Men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. And I went, wow, this sounds really cool. This guy sounds like he writes really cool books. So I went online. I saw your New World series, and I ordered uh, the first two books. I I read them. I loved them. I ordered the next five. I I read all of that, seven books, in less than seven days. It's pretty crazy if you think about it. And then I said, I love the cut of this man's jib. I need to find him. And I went on Facebook and I found you and I asked you if you want to come on the podcast and you agreed and here we are. Yeah. And I, I, again, I appreciate the opportunity. Like, um, 
I, I, you know, it's it, it, it actually fills me with a lot of joy and knowing that. And, and I know, I'm glad that you mentioned God because God is very powerful in my life. I was born again in December of 2019, so I'm definitely um, walking with him. And um, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a real close connection. I've had quite an interesting spiritual journey in my entire life to kind of where I'm today. Especially what's interesting, though, is when you read some of those books and kind of look at where I'm at today, I'm still very much that guy. But now I've kind of had the veil lifted in a lot of ways. And I see a lot I see a lot clearer now that um, I, you know, I'm walking with God. But um, that quote itself is in those who remain. And I think it's it, it kind of ties into with kind of the the, the fourth turning, you know, the um, kind of what's happening, I think. And if you look at just human existence in itself, it's just we're always in a very cyclical kind of uh, civilizations rise and fall. I mean, you can go out through human history and there's all these great civilizations that have had their pinnacle. They've been there, their apex at the height of their the height of their society and civilization, and then they fall. Why do they fall, right? And I, I think it's just because they've become so wealthy, so entitled that the youth and the generations leading up this don't—they don't appreciate it. They've forgotten what it took to become so great, to, uh, and eventually they start to erode. And I, I look at our own civilization, and Gordon, when Gordon quotes that in the book, he's looking at kind of the civiliz- Western civilization and how it's on its decline. Yes, and it's due to some of these corrosive forces, these corrosive um, ideologies that are ideologies of destruction, like socialism, communism. Those are those exactly. are without a doubt ideologies of destruction. The woke culture, the cancel culture, all those things are are ideologies of destruction. They want to take the the good things from our society. Nothing's ever pure and perfect, but they want to destroy everything. And there's a reason because they want to model it. They want to seize power. That's all. They don't want. They don't want equity or no. they, they they themselves want to seize power. And then they then want to make people conform. They want to bring upon their own form of tyranny and fascism under the guise of they're being anti-fascist. When in when in when in reality they're the actual totalitarians. But anyway, so I kind of went off on a tangent. No, it's there. good tangent. It's good tangent, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into that in a big way uh, in a moment. And it's interesting that you mentioned fascism. For years, I've been saying that um, the forces of the left aren't really communists here. They're they're more like fascists. They're more like Mussolini and his, uh, uh, you know, his. I, I think they were black shirts, even though they called them brown shirts in Italy in the late nineteen. Um, uh, 19, I think it was late 19-teens, 1919, 1920, 21, 22 is when Mussolini took over. That is what these folks act like. Their uh, modus operandi is based on Mussolini and his Italian fascists. Uh, yeah, and, and even and even those of, of Hitler's and his brown shirts. Yeah. And, and how, how they took to the streets and how they treated the Jews and the gypsies and every other kind of class system. And that, that they, they want to separate people out. They want to create people by identity. So if you look at how Hitler and the brown shirts did it, not, again, very similar to you know, Mussolini. They're definitely cousins, you know, fascist cousins. They're, they're, they were all into, into their own identity politics. How, how else did you? How else did the Jews get marginalized and isolated, and the Gypsies and these other kind of classes of people? They were they were set they were separated 
because no one was no one was truly German. There was no national, even though they call it a nationalist movement. It was only you were only considered a German or or, or a national. You, you you were only invited into this movement if you had these certain identity traits. Sound very familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. When, when you look at kind of the modern left and all their identity politics, they don't want to be identified as Americans or Canadians, or they don't believe in that. They believe in the identity of skin color or where you were from, or it, which is horrible. It's crazy. It's 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 crazy. It's, 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 it's absolutely. Hor- I think it's evil. By the way, I agree with so. you. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Listen, I come from the Middle East. I'm from Iran. I'm a Christian from Iran. My family uh, left Iran right after the Islamic Revolution, one month before the Iran-Iraq War started. And uh, one of the first things that the the Islamic government did is they started to change all the laws to start discriminating against anybody who wasn't a Muslim. And we weren't Muslim. We were Christians. So, uh, and everything from employment, from uh, death benefits to, uh, you know, opportunity to do business with the government. If you weren't a Muslim, you were in trouble. Now, you could convert to Islam, uh, and they were good with you doing that. But my family had been Christians for centuries, and they didn't want to do that. So we ended up leaving, and we came to the free West. And I'm so grateful for the freedoms that we have here. They're so important. They need to be preserved. And uh, I, I fear you and Stefan Arnio are correct we're at the tail end of the hard time cycle right now, and who knows exactly what's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've read his book as well, and I, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with a lot of the tenets he has in there. And, and again, there's history. Well, sometimes history, they always say it, it repeats itself, and maybe it's not a carbon copy, but it definitely rhymes. <laughs> and it looks very similar. And you see these rise and falls of, of these nations. Again, they're not again, they're not always identical, but there's definitely certain traits you can look at. The Roman Empire is a really fine example. I mean, think about how just magnificent the Roman Empire was. Just from a, just from a, I mean, forget about some of the, the atrocities committed. I mean, all nations commit. I mean, we're human beings, so we have human faults and we do things. That aren't always good. But if you look at the positives the Romans were able to do as far as being a unifying force in a lot of ways, and just from a technology, just from medicine, just even even certain forms of philosophy and, and even political structure, which they adopted from the Greeks and so forth. But that all came crumbling down because they lost sight of what it meant to be a Roman and what it what, and and just their affluence brought a, a, a decay from within side of itself, where even Romans eventually didn't want to even defend themselves. That's where they started to hire mercenaries and so forth. When, when a nation, when, when the, the men and women of a nation, but specifically the men, when the men of a nation do not want to defend itself anymore, that's, you're, you're right for conquer, to yeah. be conquered. 1,000%. One thousand percent. And okay. Stefan, he 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 talks about that a lot too, as far as the decay of masculinity, the decay of yes. men itself within Western civilization is is horrible. It is. It, it's 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 as though there are some outside forces that are doing this deliberately so they can soften us up to be conquered. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. No question. So, Jeff, we we kind of skipped over this, which 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 is cool, but. The person who's listening to the show, the reason they listen to the show is they want to learn from you. They want to be inspired by you. And in order for them to do that and do that effectively, they first need to get to know who you are. That, that's how they can open themselves up to you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Jeff Huff? 
Uh, well, I, I never look at myself as the as the great uh, anything, but it was funny. Is I, I hope I didn't come in come to this coming into this too hot and heavy. No, you, you you're great, man. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But um, you know, I, I came from you know a, a wonderful you know childhood. You know, both my parents were you know great people, and uh, was raised on a farm in, in Maryland. Um, did decent in school, decided not to go to college and just join the Marine Corps. Even I had good grades. I was all, I mean, everything was set for me to go and decided, and I just wanted to travel to exotic lands, meet interesting people and do this, the, the, the stuff that Marines do. So I joined the Marine Corps and from there did exactly that, traveled all around, did three deployments. Um, then I had enough of that and I, I kind of did a bunch of, a lot of different stuff and cause I was always a big reader. And so and, and someone I always followed was, um, someone I always read was Ernest Hemingway and I always read his books because he just had a, a lot of real like substance and texture, even though it's fiction, just there was all these adventures and very masculine. And I was like, Oh, this is like, he's out there just living, you know, his characters are out there living life, like experiencing things. Things, you know, on the cutting edge, the razor's edge of thing, of life. And I thought that was just wonderful. So that's what I, that's why I did the things I did. So I went from being in the Marine for six years, deploying combat, et cetera, to doing a commercial diver for a couple of years in the Gulf of Mexico, and then bounced from there to be an executive protection agent for over a decade, um, working for like this. Yeah. Working for like a Saudi royal family. That's a whole nother story about to talk about a book. I can write just that alone <laughs> and, and just other details, um, to then getting into kind of entrepreneurial stuff and then decided to put pen to paper. And then here I am today with, you know, almost 40 books, a ton of books sold. It's what I do for a living now. I write as well as I also have two publishing companies that I oversee the daily operations of, um, That's it's just awesome. been a whirlwind, whirlwind of a life. I'm 50. I'm now happily married to a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I got two wonderful children. So God's absolutely blessed me. And I'm so grateful for everything. I've everything I have, everything comes from God. And without a doubt, it, it's, he's, he showered me with so many blessings. That's amazing. So, okay, before we get into the questions I ask on behalf of, uh, of my audience, and I'm, I've got a ton to ask you because that's an incredible story. I got to tell you, one of the privileges I have in doing this podcast is I get to interview some of the world's most interesting and smartest people, and I, and I get to learn from them. And um, this is going to sound, however it's going to sound to you, but one of my childhood dreams has always been to write. I've written a bunch of nonfiction books, but I've always wanted to to, to publish a novel myself. And a part of me has just been scared. I haven't taken the steps. When I was younger, people close to me said, you know, go get a good job, go get into business. It's all good. But I'm a crazy reader. I read 142 books last year. I believe fiction's good for the soul. About uh, two thirds of the book I read are fiction. I want to have an offline conversation about you about making my dream come to life. Would that be cool? Could we do that? Oh. Absolutely. I'll tell this to you. And this, by the way, this, I, I, I love to give uh, counsel to, to, to writers because I got it when I was kind of starting my whole journey. And I also, I mean, I look at writing, by the way, specifically writing fiction is there, there's no competition in writing. There's no competition amongst authors. I mean, you can have friendly competition, which is fine, but as far as like helping other, helping writers, you know, kind of hone their craft or get into the space or, or, or figure out how to, how to get an agent or get published or self-published or whatever, whatever they're going to do. 
it, I, it's always, I believe, I, I live this, and that is I always help new writers. I think it's important, again, because there's no competition in writing. And so the, the one thing, and I'll tell you even when we go offline, but I'll, I want to have your, your listeners know this, because if they're out there and they have that dream and they want to be, they want to write, going back to Hemingway, he was interviewed years ago and he was asked about the best advice he could give a new writer. And he says, it's simple, just write. It's good advice. It's, that is literally all, it's just take the action, you know? So often we get into our heads and we talk ourselves out of something. We, 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 like you said, fear, like this, this, yeah. this fear comes in. And by the way, fear is imaginary. It, it doesn't is. exist. <laughs> it's only in our minds. And so push the fear aside and just do it. Irregardless of what you, of what other, what you think other people are going to say, just write what you want to write because there's always an audience out there. There's always an audience for what you have to say or the story you have to tell. Amen. And again, you and I can go, you and I can dive really deep. And I, you know, I've helped, I've helped dozens of writers be able to complete a book. And I, it's a fairly easy strategy, by the way. And I wish most people would just employ it. So I've um, self-published four books. I've got, uh, and they're all, one of them's a kid's book, right? It's called Kathy Capitalist and Johnny Jobmaker. I wrote it for my kids to teach them about free market principles. <laughs> so, you know, it was cool. And I wrote a fitness book with a buddy of mine who's a Olympic gold medalist. I wrote another fitness book myself, a couple of other ones that we didn't really publish. Um, and I also wrote two business books, one of them told in the form of a fable. And I'm writing another book right now, a business book called The Power of Connecting with the owner of BNI Canada. I don't know if you've heard of BNI Business Networking International. They're the largest business referral group in the world. So I've done a lot of writing. But man, since I was a kid, I wanted to write books that are fiction, that tell great stories. And I even wrote a book in the 90s. And it's, it, I never, I, I tried to get it published twice. I got it to a couple of, um, Big publishers back in the day, they rejected it, and I just I, I slink back. And I'll tell you something. This is this for me is very difficult to share, and I appreciate the opportunity to to reveal this to to you and to the audience. And lately, I've toughened myself up mentally, and I want this. This is my childhood dream. When I was a little kid, this is who I wanted to be when I when I grew up. And I'm successful in business. I'm a great podcaster and all that stuff. But this is what I really want. And I'm telling you, having this conversation with you is taking away some of the nervousness and the fear. Is it too late for me? All that crap. I'm going to go for it. So I really appreciate that, brother. God bless you for that. Good. And you should go for it. We should, none of us, none of us, no one listening, nobody in the world should ever go to their deathbeds with a dream not fulfilled. Amen. Amen. At least try, like Teddy Roosevelt, at least be the person in the arena. At least go for it, right? You know, when he, he, are you familiar with that speech he gave? Absolutely, the, the man, man in the arena. arena. Of course, he's one of my heroes, man. <laughs> Top five yeah, presidents of all that time. Person, at least, at least try, at least go for. It. I mean, nothing's worse than the person that it's the critic, right? When you were talking about that, people, what someone might tell you to do, or someone might critique it, they can be the critic. Be the doer. Be the man in the arena. Go for it, even if you fail. 
at least fail, like you said, daring greatly than to be the cold and timid souls, right? That neither know victory nor defeat. I mean, so now I've, I've kind of lived my life that way. You know, and people have asked me like, so did you go to college for creative writing? I didn't even graduate. I didn't even graduate college. Awesome. And it, it has nothing to do. I think a college education is very important depending on the field you're going into. Yes. But, it, it, but I came into the creative writing just being a storyteller. Just sitting down and putting pen, taking literally what Hemingway, his advice, put pen to paper and just hammered it out and was just being a storyteller. So, again, if there's any aspiring fiction writers out there, be the storyteller. Don't worry about the editing. Don't worry about type. Don't worry about anything. Just tell the story. Amen. That's all you need to be focused on because you can hire editors, you can hire proofers, you can hire all those people. They make it polished up, they make it look amazing, but they can't make a story engaging and compelling with awesome characters that you fall in love with. So be the storyteller above all else. Amen. I've got a couple of ideas for books, and you know what? I'll chat with you about those offline. Uh, it, it's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And whatever I got to do to to find a way to make this happen, I'm going to do it. I think this is awesome. So, so Jeff, you you went on this journey. You published 40 books. When did you write your first book? How'd you get it published? Well, the the first book was a children's book. You and I were offline. We were kind of chatting. Yeah. And I did that in 2011. It's called Doggyville. <laughs> it's a children's animated. Because I, you know, I would go in at night and I would and I would read all these books to to my girls, and I was like, you know, and I came back to my wife, I was like, well, what if I did like this, you know, fun book about this stuff? Because how they always asked me to make up these stories, so I would make up these stories, and I was making this story about this dog, and da 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 blah blah blah, and I was like, what if I took one of the dog stories and then did a children's book? My wife's like, go for it. So I found an illustrator's wonderful team of ladies down in Argentina. And they had this great, just this beautiful artwork. And they specifically were uh, artists and designers, graphic designers for children's books. So it was a perfect, so they knew how to do all the formatting. Anyway, I just took one of the stories, just wrote it down. It's only like 600 and 700 words. It's not very long. And my girls are featured in it. So it's more of kind of like this legacy thing. But what's interesting is, and the reason I'm kind of going long-winded on this, is that when I had the book in my hands that was done, I was like, oh, okay. So it came from idea to now it's in my hands. So I can do this. I can actually think maybe write a novel. <laughs> so I was like taking the baby steps at the time. And so I finally decided to write the, uh, the, uh, a novel. I came up with the pen name G. Michael Hoff because I didn't want to blur the lines between the children's book that was Jeffrey Hoff and this new apocalyptic series I thought I was going to conquer the world with. And I didn't want to blur the lines like children's books, post-apocalyptic, you know, mayhem, doom and gloom. So that pen name was created. Yeah, I wrote the end. I got an agent, then fired the agent, then hit self-publish, and then the book took off. And then what was interesting is, <laughs> just like you had done, you had you had submitted to publishers and gotten rejection. Oh, I, I had suffered through that too. Yeah, no one wanted it. No one wanted it until it started selling. <laughs> and they then all wanted it. Everybody wanted it. <laughs> Crazy. So. And then, then I got a call was I published the end self-published the end in April of 2013. And in August of that year, I got a call from Penguin Random House. Cool. They, they wanted that book and, and several others. They wanted to lock me down. So that's where it all started. I went from, 
you know, working, I was back working as a commercial diver to all of a sudden I was, I was doing really well as a, as a independent writer with a big, with the largest publishing house in the world. Yeah. That's amazing, man. That is absolutely fantastic. Wow. So that book series is awesome. The characters are great. The stories are super compelling. And, you know, even though it's fiction, when I read it, I was thinking to myself, this could happen. This could really, really happen. I'd read uh, William Forstchen's books about um, mm -hmm. uh, an EMP attack on the States. I think it was one second after, one day after. I think there were three of them. And, and one year after. And one year after. Like that. That's yes. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when I read those, I thought to myself, wow, this could really happen. This could, we, we could have a shortage of food and water and we could be, we could, we, we could be living together in these armed camps and uh, going to war like people did 1500 years ago, you know, in the middle of Europe. Right. Yeah. I, it's, it, it, you know, a grit down scenario is very plausible when you really start diving into it and it doesn't necessarily have to be an EMP that cripples it. It can, there's malware now that's become a really great threat where they just, in fact, you know, the computer systems that some of these grid operators and shut down the grid. And it doesn't take long once you shut the grid down that everything just starts to unravel. I mean, our society, look at, look at just the riots that were in the United States over the summer. Look, I mean, you can look at the pandemonium when all the lockdowns began, you know, last spring. No toilet tissue. Uh, now, no toilet tissue. That's yeah. crazy, man. I know, but now imagine, I know people like, people will give me a hard time. You never said anything about TP. <laughs> I said, I never imagined people would be that stupid. <laughs> but that, oh here we go. But um, I don't think it would take much to, to, to have those books. I know some people have said, I'm a little too doom and gloom, and I don't give you know, humanity enough credit. And I'm like, I look around. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. I actually think I you're a little optimistic, to be honest quickly. with you. I, th I actually think you're a little bit optimistic in your books as to, as to what could happen. Because the moment real panic sets in, there's going to be folks who are going to lose their you-know-what, right? And mm -hmm. once they do that... Yeah. You know, the veneer of civilization can be ripped off really quickly. And how people are going to treat each other when that happens, eh, you know, it's not going to be very pretty. You know, not going to be very pretty at all. I, I saw how people yeah. were when they were fighting over the toilet tissue last March, man. It was crazy. Yeah. There were people screaming at each other, ready to get into fisticuffs over toilet tissue. Imagine if they thought they couldn't yeah. eat, they needed this food to live. Yep. If it was the last can of beans, exactly. I think our, our Western civilization is fragile. It's held together. But what's interesting is when you take electricity away, that's the big thing. It's not as if, it's not as if mankind can't survive without power. It's just that because we have for centuries, eons beforehand, you know, electricity is relatively new. Um, as far as, you know, on the, on the time scale that is mankind and civilization itself, but we don't have the skill sets anymore. And people know they don't have the skill sets. And so you, you remove that. Everybody real, this is where the fear comes from and the panic that sets in right away is that and they know no one's coming to help is they, people know they don't have the skill sets or the resources to survive. 
And so therefore, then they lash out and they'll do whatever they think and scratch and claw and kill and maim and murder to get what they can. Um, it, but it, what's interesting is if everyone had the skill sets and the resources already, like being prepared, the panic wouldn't necess- the panic wouldn't be there because they're like, oh, I'll be okay. But most people don't have that. I mean, people are are, are just willfully ignorant, even where even where meat and grocery stores come from. I I mean, I've heard people say, you know, like they're upset about the slaughterhouses, and they'll go, well, I don't know why we have to do it. Just get the meat at the grocery store, as if they don't understand the chain of. <laughs> That, that that where the slaughterhouses are the, is part of the connection to have that. That's why there's a stake in the grocery store. People just don't, they're not aware of anything and they are unskilled in the means to survive. So Jeff, I'll tell you something that's very true. It's one of the things, I, I run a men's organization here, right? On a volunteer basis. And one of the things we are really keen on is helping men be the best uh, husbands, fathers, best kind of man they can be in this day and age, right? And we want to teach men good old-fashioned man skills, like, you know, being able to go out there and change a bloody tire. There's guys who can't change a tire right now. Go out there and be able to hunt for food, you know, if you have to. Be able to field dress an animal. Be able to, like, hunt for food and be able to turn that animal into usable meat for your family. These are skills that, hey, maybe you don't need them on a day-to-day basis, but if the world goes to hell in a handbasket, it's good to be able to have these skills, right? Uh, no, yeah, that that itself, those are skill sets. You know, I have, I've, I kind of, when I was writing all these books, I, I came up with I might have mentioned it in this series, but I, I've come up with this concept called the four pillars, you know, of survival. And resources in, is one of the pillars. Like, say you have a chair, or say you have a stool, right? But if you take one of those away, you can you can't really sit on the stool; it'll fall over. But so you have to have all four legs, and one of them is resources, right? So you, you know, you can prepare ahead of time just by just by having a, a six to six month to a year supply of food for your entire family i know some people might be rolling their eyes listening like oh god this guy's a prepper survivalist all prepping is by the way all preparedness is is an insurance policy so i like to to kind of give it the same thing that like most people listening have health insurance or they have life insurance or they have car insurance all this is is another form of life insurance or or, or be able to like survival insurance Cashing a certain amount of food that you can you can have access to, you and your family can have access to in case maybe there's a bad storm. Maybe you're with that few weeks and you can't get anything from the store. And you know, some of these, a lot of these things will apply. Not just it doesn't have to apply to the an end of the world type of apocalyptic event. It could just be that some major disruption of the supply chain, which we experienced actually with COVID. We experienced disruptions in supply chain. So imagine if there was a much larger event. So when I say so, so resources are important, skill sets are important. This is what you're, you know, with your men's group thinking about trying to teach some of these guys some of these basic dude stuff is like I call like to call it. Mindset is critical. Being 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 having a clear head, you know, the mindset's a big thing. Like you have to be willing to do what's necessary to to protect your family and yourself. And then the Amen. last thing is fitness, and this is something that escapes a lot of people. And that is, I think it's important for men and women, but just for men, if you're here, if you're, if you're going to protect your family to be, I'm not, you don't have to have the six pack abs, but you can't be 
obese guy. You, you know, you have to have the ability to physically handle yourself as well as handle a situation and protect your family. I think it's very, very important. Critical. Again, I'm not mother. saying yeah, I think absolutely it's critical. I mean, some sometimes people think I'm, I'm I'm advocating for like the six pack bodybuilder. That's not it. Just being able to physically take care of yourself. Uh, so fitness is fitness without a doubt is is a critical part of the four pillars of survival. I mean, again, after COVID, you would think I think a lot of people should look around and go, I think I need to be a little bit more prepared. Like I think a lot of people found found themselves woefully lacking. When a lot of this stuff happened, a lot of the supply chain issues started popping up last spring. I am 100% in agreement with you. 100% in agreement with you. It's insane that what happened last year happened, that we had this pandemic and we got a glimpse of what would happen if the supply chains were disrupted and people aren't thinking, hey, I, I need to be thinking ahead. I think it's absolutely insane. Yeah, again, I, I just address it to people that, it, like I said before, it's just an insurance policy. We, we have other insurance policies for the rainy day. That's all that it is. It's just an insurance policy. And by the way, because it gives you the confidence that when something happens, you just close the door and you're fine. There's so much peace of mind knowing you have that, that you, you're going to sleep better at night. And I mean, I do as well as having those skill sets. And these are very easy skill sets to acquire. There's so much free information out there right now um, that people can find and they can, they can you know, get the skill sets that are necessary. You know, weapons are one of them. Some countries are more difficult to have access to weapons. That's for sure. But weapons, the weapons are definitely a, a critical part of uh, their tools is all they are. They are tools. Firearm is nothing but a, it's just a tool. That's all. I mean, I grew up, they're just tools. We learn how to use them just like we learn hammers and saws and, it's a part of life. We go hunting. That's what it is. But you're, you learn how to use it. You learn how to respect it and so forth and so on. No, brilliantly said. Brilliantly said. Okay. So let's switch gears for a second and let's talk about, you know, writing as a business. Let's talk about how to become successful as a writer. Because after all, the people that listen to this show, they're entrepreneurs. They want to learn from you about how you did that. So tell us. <laughs> That's the great. So I so it's I've been asked this question before. So there is sure. first I'll say if there's if there was an easy formula that I can say I can give people an easy formula in order to take an idea of a book and and then complete it so they have something in their hand. That actually because I've done it many many times, not just for myself but yep. for um, writers that I now represent. That's easy. As far as taking a once you have it and then and then marketing it successfully to where it's it's a financial success is sometimes a tricky thing. Like it, so, I'll say this: Why might I still to this day do not know why the end took off? Really, I can't say no. I can't say a plus. I have some theories. So when I so when I, when I went into first writing the book, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm that, I'm that guy you've probably met that when that says, I like this idea, I'm just going to go do it. And, and people are like, you're not going to sit down and research it. Like, nope. No, man, <laughs> I that, just that, that, that's just... the way to make life happen. You got to go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of sometimes a bull in the China shop and sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. And sometimes I leave a little mess along the way, but I'm very, very determined and I, I don't quit. And so and I also look at my failures as a as 
as learning as, as I've learned something from something. I don't, I don't, I, I don't let it beat me up. I just say, I won't do that again. And I chalk it up as this an experience and move on. Yep. I never let failure kind of take me out, but, and I failed. I think everyone has fails, but I think everyone should embrace their failure. But hundred percent. Anyway, long and short of it, I've, to analyze like how my first book took off, I, I really, I really, really don't know. But so to kind of give the basics of kind of what we do now for our authors and some of the successes I have seen is that God, there's so much, there's so much to unpack here. First, the first thing is when you're writing a book is to make sure that the book is always professionally edited. So if you're going to take a product and that's all a book is, and you're going to put it to marketplace, not, you don't want to put out a book that's subpar quality because the, the quick, so you can, because if you take a subpar quality book and you market the heck out of it, you put a ton of money in marketing, but you didn't put any money into the quality of it. Your book will be posted all over the place and people will be buying it. But soon that, that well will dry up because you'll, the people will start realizing they just bought a dud. Yeah. Yeah. They bought a dud. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So make sure and, you, you do a good so, job and put out a professional product. So that's step one. Exactly. Yeah. So professional editing, professional cover design, those things are, are critical. Yeah, your covers and, are and crazy you, good, by the way, your covers are insanely great. Yeah. Those are, I have, you know, great cover designers. And when I was with Penguin, those covers were, they did, they did a wonderful job. So I, I think it's very important again, to hire professionals that know how to do it. I mean, I know you as an author will have a general idea of what you might want the cover to look like, but hire someone who knows what they're doing and then let them just do it because that's what they do for a living. That's what they're professionals at. And then you work with them, you, you collaborate with them, you come up with the best cover you think will work. But once you've got that, that book and it's professionally edited, it's got a beautiful cover, you're ready to go to market. You have to make sure then you, you're going to make the book available in several different formats because you want the book to be successful. There's there's multiple different ways for people to buy the book. Yep. Electronic books, you have to make sure it's formatted for electronic books. And you've done this before, so it's more of like what your your, your listeners are, yep. are, are wanting to know. So you have to format it for electronic version. And then you have to format it for a paperback version. And then if you want to do an audiobook, that's a whole nother thing. But having it available in multiple different formats is important these days. I've seen some authors go out there like, I'm just, I don't like Kindle myself. I'm just going to make it a paperback. They're leaving money on the table. Big time. For the basic fact that the ebook, whether they like them or not, is a part of the market space. And it's a huge chunk if you're self-publishing. It can get up to 50 to 60% of your share of the, of the books you'll sell as a self-published writer will be electronic books. Yeah, absolutely. So never leave that money on the table. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. When, you, when, when, the, when the book is flipped and you go to a big mainstream publisher and they've got really large distribution, you might see those numbers kind of almost equal as far as between like trade paperback and electronic books. But self-published, you're, it's, it's huge. So do not leave the electronic book on the table, make sure it's in there for distribution. And then when it comes to marketing it, it's like across the board. I think it's important to, to create an author platform. So you have something separate, you create a brand because when you're an author, it's your own separate brand. It may, it might be just who you are, right? It might be Nikki and this might be you, or it could be, you could make your, the author a completely different person in some way. So whoever you want the brand to be that is is very very important and so you create an author platform that means you have completely separate and autonomous social media accounts just for your author just for the author 
itself. Okay. And then you're making sure that you're finding out what the genre you're going into. And a single book isn't for everybody. So you definitely want to boil down who your audience is. That's very important. Oh, it's very important. So don't try to, your book's not going to appeal to everybody. So stop trying to do that. So a target, strategically target your reader. So know who your reader is going to be. And that's, that's fairly easy to do. So you're writing fantasy, that's easy. You, find, you, you only target fantasy groups in social media. You only target, you know, fantasy blogs. That's, those, that's your audience. Those are the people who can be buying your books. And uh, so social media is very critical. The author platform, have a website so people can interact. Make sure you have a workable email. And then when it comes to, to marketing, the best marketing I've seen so far is because it's one, Amazon is the 8,000 pound gorilla when it comes to, to book distribution and sales. Yep. So uh, it's got to be on your book has to be on Amazon. Now you can put in some of the other, you know, online retailers, Barnes and Noble, Kobu, Google books, iBooks, all those are important, but they're a fraction of what Amazon will sell. So Amazon itself has Amazon marketing services. That is the best dollar spent, I think, in marketing. Really? Is, yeah, because Amazon is his own search engine, right? Yeah. And so, so I've done this just for trial and error. I've done boosted posts on social media, thrown a, a ton of cash at it. The problem with social media is that not everyone's on there shopping for a book. No, they're not. It's, that's more for like, I think, brand, building up your brand, building up your author brand. You can get people connected. You can be engaging with, you know, readers or would-be readers that way. But as far as when someone's on Amazon, they're there and they're shopping the Kindle, you know, books or they're shopping books. In general. They're, people are on Amazon to go shopping. Their wallet's out, so to speak, right? Their credit card's ready to go. And so that's why you target most of your money to selling the book using Amazon marketing services. And I would, I would highly encourage people to definitely really study I mean, <laughs> I can, I'll give you offline a lot of help on how to target that. This is all about keywords, 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 keywords. But learn how to properly place an Amazon marketing service ad for your book. Because what that'll do is it'll start to populate on other people's product pages with books that are just like yours in the same genre. That's what's important. Wow. I mean, again, there's like a whole class I could give on this. <laughs> Honestly, but, brother, you should. I think that, first of all, I'd sign up for it. Second of all, I actually think that could be a nice revenue play. I mean, part of what I teach is thought leadership. I, I take experts like you and I say, look, you're not monetizing something you should be monetizing. And you should be monetizing this. And not only should you be monetizing that, it's 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 pretty darn brilliant stuff if you think about it, right? Like, I'm I'm talking to you and I'm going. You know what? I've I've got I've got four books that are out there, right? Um, three of them just under my name, and I got a fifth one coming out that I've co-written with a guy. So, what do I want? Here's what I want. I want. So I've got this one book right now, right? It's called Finish Line Thinking: How to Think and Win Like a Champion. I even have, I have a website uh, as well, but this book is a very short book, and it's got 13 principles of how to think and win like a gold medal champion because I've worked with a bunch of those guys in my past. I've handed out probably 5,000 copies of it. I probably sold about a couple thousand copies of it at events. 
But I'll tell you, if more people read this book, they knew about me, that'd be good for my business. So I'd love to find a way to like get five, 10,000 people to buy the book. Then I've written this other book called The Thought Leader's Journey. It's like a, it's like a parable. I call it The Thought Leader's Journey, A Fable of Life. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever read Og Bandino, any of his books, like the greatest salesman no. in the world. Um, anyways, in the late 60s to mid 90s, he wrote a bunch of these parable type success books. Um, he sold something like 50 million copies of his books. I mean, crazy, crazy numbers of sales. That's, that's, that's impressive. How, yeah, yeah. Greatest salesman <laughs> in the that. world so sold awesome. over 20 million copies by itself. That's like a late 1960s book. And it's written, by the way, in the time of Christ. And, and he brings a lot of um, uh, kind of Christian themes forward in the book. And it's about how to be a great salesman. So I wrote it like that. And it's a really good book, if I may say so myself. I'd love to, I'd love to send you a Kindle copy of it to show you how you can get one. Love you, get your thoughts. But it's a really good book. And I really didn't put a lot of marketing effort into it, except, you know, I, I offer a free Kindle copy to it at certain business conferences that I'm at. Um, I would love to have a bunch of people find out about this book and read it because I think they'd really enjoy it. And I could probably write a sequel to it and make it even better and all that good stuff. And I've always wanted to write a Tom Clancy type book, a Robert Ludlum type book, a Jack Higgins type book. Those were the guys I loved reading when I was growing up. Now you're my my latest literary hero. I'd love to write a, a, <laughs> a, a G. Michael Hopp type book, something that really speaks to the heart. And, and it's a story of good triumphing over evil and freedom triumphing over tyranny. Those are the themes that really appeal to me. And I think they're universal. You know, so I would, I would be sitting, I'd give you my credit card, I'd be sitting in your class, taking really good notes, recording the whole thing, the whole bit. I just, I just think it's brilliant. Well, I, I, I think you're already on, well, one way for, for authors to sell their book is also have different mediums for, to get their voice out. You're doing that with your podcasts. So, you know, uh, you know, maybe you could be leveraging a little bit more the books with the, this medium that you've got right now that you're successful at. Sometimes that actually helps. So that's something to look at. And it's like, and we can talk offline about it, but um, that's one way because you're, you're, you're taking your brand and you're putting it out there. What else is attached to your brand is these books. It's just another form of who you are. Um, as far sense. as me teaching anything, I, I feel I'm already, I'm, I, I need to clone myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. That's, my wife, my wife is like, I'm more, I'm more working like 12 hours plus a day almost seven days a week like i saturdays and sundays i'm even working not not those hours but i'm i'm always kind of working i'm just always working i'm like uh, this comes in i'm always like i mean not not, not to the, not to the ultimate detriment of my family i definitely take time with my family and it's very very important to me but i you know i love what i do and it's also it's also the means of how i provide for my family my wife doesn't work you know we're blessed that way and you know, she's been taking care of the girls. And, and by the way, she was a rock star salesperson um, uh, before we got married. And uh, even when we were marrying her before we had the kids, it wasn't until we had the, our, my first daughter. She looked at her and told her, like, I can't let anyone else take care of this baby. This is, I'm going to do it. I'm like, okay. So 
I just love working. <laughs> so I think that's important. You're, you're a man so on a mission. You're a man on a purpose, right? Like Stefan Arnio used to say, a man's purpose is his work. So for you, that's pretty pretty cool. But, you know, what you're doing with, with teaching people this, here, here's the beauty of it is you could run one initial class, right? I don't know. It'd be like eight modules, 12 modules, whatever it is, right? You record all of those. Then that becomes a course. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Well, well, maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> it would be an honor. It would be an honor. We can definitely talk offline about all this stuff. But this stuff, this, this is genius. Like, I'm listening to you going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and just nobody would think of this, right? Nobody would think of this. But the principles you're enunciating, like, hey, know your audience. Don't try to be all things to all people in marketing your book. My God, that's what we say in business. You know, uh, yeah. narrow your niche, narrow your niche, as you Americans like to say. The narrower, the yeah, better. That's true. Right? You, you, exactly. Narrow, narrow, narrow. And keep, keep kind of watering it down, kind of distill it down to kind of the basic avatar who you're selling to. And then that's who you target. And, you know, just like I know when I look at the apocalyptic space, it's not the biggest space in the world, but it's enough to make a living from. And by the way, most book genres are. They're large enough. Just look at the sheer population, right, of just the English-speaking countries. If, you, if By the way, if you're only doing your book in English, and there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of readers out there. So if you pick that genre and then and then go after it hard. And I did that with um, – so I needed a little bit of a break, and I, I wanted also as a temptation or kind of just a cur- more of a curiosity is a better word. I said, I'm going to write a Western. Yeah, I ordered a couple of your Westerns, sure by the way. Yeah. I was like, are you sure you're going to do that? You're going to like, what about your people? I said, I kind of need a break. I need a break from the apocalyptic space. I need to like take a sabbatical, but I'm not going to take a sabbatical at work. And I've always liked the, I've always liked the Western genre anyway. I kind of like that ruggedness that, that, you know, I just, there was just something I, I've always loved about it. And so I wrote the first one and put it out and it took off. That's awesome. I applied all those principles and it just, it took off. And it was like, if I, the sales that were coming from Vengeance Road were were initially were better than they came from the end. It was my first apocalyptic book. I was blown away. And so I threw a, I threw a sequel out and did a and did a third in that one. And then I went out and did Last Ride. And that book won an award. It was like, and all I did was like I just took the principles I'd learned, hyper-focused on the audience I was targeting, and just wrote a I, what I think still today are just good, fun clean western stories i didn't overthink it i just gave readers red meat and they love it of course and they're great fun stories to read and so the books did exceptionally well and so i mean i can you know, i'm proud to say that i'm i've made a name for myself in the western genre and so i'm actually looking i'm tooling on i'm working on a a, a continuation of the of the bounty hunter series which kind of focuses on um Abigail, who's a the kind of the kind of made modeler kind of uh, she's kind of an Annie Oakley ish kind of a character, but but as far as she takes Annie Oakley being a very good marksman and and she comes she's a total you know badass bounty hunter kind of you know on, on the Western Plains in eighteen seventies. So and p- people loved her; they loved her character. So I'm doing a I'm look, working on a fourth book, and my oldest daughter is thirteen, wants to help with it because she's read this series and she loves it. She loves it. So I love it. so those books, so you've read so so you've read the apocalyptic stuff. There's cursing and things along that line. I made the Westerns completely clean of that. There's violence, of course, 
Um, but as far as cursing and a sexual content, absolutely none of that in my Western works at all. And so, cool. you know, kids in, kids in middle school can absolutely read these books and parents don't have to worry that there's cursing and things like that or, or, any, sex, or any sexual content. I'll tell you something. I love your work. I ordered a couple of your Westerns as well. Uh, I'm steadily making my way through uh, your uh, your catalog of work, and uh, I'm, I'm eight books in. And I'll uh, I think uh, by the end of March I'll probably be 15 books in. And I'm I'm really excited to get more and more of your stuff. I think what you have uh, revealed and shared with us today about how to be successful at writing a book, at marketing a book, is genius, genius stuff. I think, you know, and I'll tell you this, this idea that you and I batted around, one of the ways I, I, I learn is by teaching, right? And one of the ways I, I, I teach is by having a conversation like this. This idea that we batted around of you putting a course together for authors, I got to tell you, I think it's going to be the future of publishing because there's going to be publishing houses that are looking for a way to get a leg up to have their authors be more successful and be able to sell more books. That just makes a ton of sense. So smart publishing houses are going to say, hey, we're actually, as part of the process of discovering new offers, we're going to offer a, a, a course that we've created in-house to help maximize the chances for you to have a hit on your hands. And and it's basically how to write a how to write a best-selling book. <laughs> you know what I mean? How to write and sell well, a best-selling book. And I think if publishing houses started to do this as a differentiating factor, you'd be able to attract some pretty cool authors, but it also would be a nice way to put yourself on the map. So I think it's pretty cool. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Nikki, is that I, a good friend of mine, um, well, it's interesting, like the, the people who do the marketing for publishing houses, I don't think necessarily always know how to publish. What they have like at Penguin Random House, and I'm not trashing Penguin, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that they brought me on for those four books. I had a wonderful experience. But I, I, I think the authors that have been successful marketing their own stuff know more than they do. And so for, to this, so I have a really good friend, Nicholas Sansbury smith uh, near, he's a New York Times bestseller now. He's, an, I mean, a great guy. Yeah. And we're both in the same space. His publisher brought him into the offices to teach their marketing team how to more successfully market. Okay. You got to introduce me to this guy. You know that, right? I got to have him on the show now that you told me this. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great guy. I mean, he's way more successful than I am. But what's interesting is we kind of came up, he, can't, he came up right after me. He said something, I think, along the line, like he found my book, read my book. Oh my God, this book's really like amazing. And then sort of write, something like that, I think was the story with Nick. But he's a good guy. He's, he's definitely outperformed me and I'm so happy for him. He's such That's a good guy. He's a solid guy. But um, again, this is where kind of we all help each other. Like he and I have battered around ideas, and that's just kind of what we do as authors. Like we help each other. There's no competition in it. No, there is. Like, there is. Uh, it, it's a, a book is not like a toaster. You buy one for the next ten years. Books are consumables, and so you want to help people. And because you never know, you help this person when they make it, they're going to help you. It comes back. That's. I mean, that's how I think it works. So. Here's here, here's a thought. First of all, please introduce me to this gentleman. I'd love to have him on the show. He sounds like he's a great guy, and I would love to have uh, him and pick his brain and, and learn from him and introduce him to my audience. Because I got to be honest, I've never heard of him before today. So if I like his books, I'll buy a bunch of his books. I'll get my people to buy them. So what the heck? So uh, that's number one. Number two, um, I think all these things that you talk to me about. Here's something that could be kind of cool. 
you could create a podcast, and it doesn't have to be an ongoing podcast, right? But you could create a little podcast that you throw up on iTunes and all that stuff. You could bring someone like me to come and be the interviewer, and you, you're going to be the interviewee. And we spend like 45 minutes to an hour on each episode going through like a module each. And so you got to be thinking through what are all the steps people got to use in order to like market their books and, and successfully get it out there. So let's say it's 12 episodes. You put that out there as a podcast initially, and you give that away. You don't charge for that, right? Once you've done that, and you go, guys, so this is all available to you. Take advantage of it. It's free. Now, if you want higher level stuff, more insider level stuff, we got a paid program for that. And then we sign people up for that. And then you deliver that over like a Zoom platform. Again, we map out all the modules for that. And we teach people stuff that, you know, we didn't teach in the first kind of 12 episode podcast that we did. And then that becomes a paid program. And then once that's recorded, that's something that you, through your publishing company, can make available to all your authors. So if you're signing up a certain author and you feel really good about it, maybe you give it to them for free, but for everybody else, they pay you some money for it. So what the hell? I like how you're thinking. <laughs> I make people money, man. That's what I'm like known it. for. I like I make people money. Nikki Billu gets you paid. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, good. We're going to have a couple of chats offline. So listen. Um, we like to end off e each one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert to give your best three pieces of advice. We call them expert action steps for my listener to take on to take their business, take their life to the next level. And you know what? Um, since you specifically have given us a lot of good stuff around uh, you know, writing and marketing writing, you could do it on that. You can do it on anything you want, but just give us your best three pieces of advice. Um, I think I've already given one. I just want to reiterate it. And this will, I, even though I've said it once, but I, I think it's so important that if those people out there that are the storytellers that want to write, literally do what Hemingway said. Do not overthink it. Don't think you need to go and spend six months of a creative writing class where you need to do this or that because you get lost in the weeds. If you've got a story, sit down in front of your computer, open Word, and just start writing. Just write. Worry about all the other stuff. Don't worry about covers, just write. Don't worry about editing, just write. Because you're worrying about things that's in the back end of the book. There's no sense worrying about any of that stuff until there's an actual book for you to worry about an editor or proofreader, any of those things. Just write. So that's my kind of writing thing that I like to put out. And people follow that formula. And I've got, I mean, I, I got a little a more, more depth version of that, but just write. And then you'll complete a book. Uh, as far as, as far as this other piece of advice, and I think it, I think this is, goes down to mindset. And by the way, I think mindset is everything. How we view the world is everything. Don't, how I want to phrase it, like when you're looking at tackling something, go after it with the will to succeed. Don't go after it with the will not to fail. Play to win. In other words, don't not, play not to lose, right? Yeah. Yes, that's, a, that's another way of putting it. Because so often, because then what, you, what, what are you focusing on? The, the failure. You're always, then you second guess decisions. You, it's a different mindset. Your, your head's completely focused on that and not focused on just success. And by the way, in those successes, as you know, Nikki, there's going to be little failures, but you don't, you don't define them that way. You just find them as ways of not knowing not to do that. So, it's a big, big, big thing that I've, I, I use, I've adopted many, many, many years ago. Um, and then, I mean, I know this is kind of, 
I mean, maybe overplayed, but just don't ever quit. Like just have perseverance, have absolute perseverance and, and, and stay in the game and that you're going to get beat up. You're going to get punched in the face. There's going to be some throat punches. I mean, you're going to get hit, bruised, battered, but if you never quit, you're going to succeed ultimately in the end. You've got to have, you know, uh, perseverance. And uh, because we, we've all been through it. It's not as if, and by the way, nothing comes quick or easy. It's everything's hard work and you got to work hard. You can't be afraid of working hard. I, I love these three expert action steps. I wrote them down. I think they're brilliant. Right. Mm-hmm. So just right. Secondly, you know, and I said it this way because my brain processes it faster. Play to win, don't play not to lose. That's one of the things we teach to our men as part of the men's work we do. And frankly, in the IP that I've created recently or on the subject of winning and success, that's one of the ones that that uh, really is is near and dear to my heart. And I, and I wrote it out and I really expanded on it. And don't quit. That comes, you know, from so many top people in the history of the world. Winston Churchill, what was his speech that he made at an American uh, university, you know, after he had uh, retired from politics? He said, never, ever, 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 ever give up. And I thought, wow, that was the entire speech. I loved it. I think that's great. That's all you need to teach people. <laughs> that's yeah. brilliant, man. That's brilliant it's so stuff. easy to give up. And it's, it's, so, it's so easy for people to – but what's funny is that like, Napoleon Hill had something about the guy who was mining. Had he just kept mining, he would have found the, that, that mother load of gold ore on the other side. It's, you know, our dreams are always on the other side of, of, of perseverance, right? They're always right there. You just got to keep going for it. And, it, it. and so that's why our support systems are so important to have. And uh, I mean, you, you're doing that with this men's group, I think. You know, it's important to have positive people in your life that'll support you when you're going through these things, not the kind of people that want to commiserate with you when you're in pain or doubt or any of those things. You don't want those people because they'll, they'll talk you right out of your success. <laughs> they, they, they really will. And Stefan Arnio in, in his books talks about, you know, it's very important to be careful who you hang around. Cause if, if you're an A-level performer and you're hanging around C-level people, you're not going to lift them up. They're going to pull you down. So it's very, very important to be around the right people. Yeah, yeah, I knew you'd totally agree with that, for sure. So listen, how do people get a hold of your books? What's the best way to consume some of these things? Because I got to tell you, I love, love all your books. I think everybody should buy the end right away and read it. It's one of the most brilliant books I've ever read. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think it's, it's my, what's my favorite as well. Um, Amazon is always the best place. Uh, Barnes & Noble has them. Some of the series of, of, of the New World series can actually be found inside of Barnes & Noble stores, but Amazon is clearly probably the best way for anybody. Most people today have Amazon accounts. I do offer autographed copies of my books too. You can just go to my website at gmichaelhop.com and I've got my books there. You can buy any of them. I'll, I'll sign them, throw some swag in there and get them out to you. Hey, I'm um, up and for that. I love signed books. <laughs> I love signed books. So let's yeah, make sure we get a few of those. You know, I've got some books for you anyway. I'll send you some books. But uh, by the way, I'm, I'm always open I, to, to any questions people have. Like if you, 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 want, you, you want some advice on some stuff, just reach me at jeff at gmichaelop.com. You know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm always, always willing to help, you know, an author, always. Because I was helped in the past and I, I swore to God that I would, you know, keep pushing that down the road and help people. I think God, it's very important. God bless your heart for that, man. I, I, honestly, you're very generous. For a man at your level of success to offer to do that is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I, I want to say this to my listener. Listener, 
Jeff's the real deal, man. This man has got the heart of a lion, the, the, the soul of a great humanitarian, and he's a true champion. Take advantage of this. Make sure we're going to put all this information in the show notes, Jeff, so that people can take advantage of, of this. And I, I definitely want to uh, get some of your autograph uh, books, and I think that if you're listening to this, listener, make sure that you take advantage of this. So, listener, you might be thinking to yourself, wow. Jeff is amazing, and he is amazing. And you might be wondering yourself, okay, I'm inspired. I want to do this. I want to be the best version of myself. How do I go about doing this? Well, if you're into writing, start writing. Like you said, start writing, start writing right now. I'm, I'm definitely going to start writing a new book. I'm going to start writing today, as a matter of fact. Secondly, go to my website, ecircleacademy.com, okay, and take advantage of all the support resources that we offer there. So. If you're in business for yourself and you're thinking to yourself, I want to grow my business and, and you're, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're an author, you're all three of those things and you want to know how to get more clients, I've got a fantastic free resource there, which is a report called Six Steps to Growing Your Expert Business. It's free. Grab it. It will give you six very powerful strategies for how you can grow your expert business right now that don't cost any money, by the way, zero money. So you can do this with just grit, sheer grit. So do this. Take advantage of this. Secondly, get my book, go on Amazon, buy it. Or if you want a Kindle copy, go to the website, ecircleacademy.com forward slash TLJ book and take advantage of that as well. And then finally, if once you've done these, you still feel like you want some help. You need to like find a way to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And, and that is at least a, a big six to, to maybe even a seven-figure jump. I offer something called a success call. And in that success call, we're going to create a blueprint for how to get you from where you are to where you want to be. So take advantage of that. All those are free. Go to eastcircleacademy.com and make sure you do that. Jeff, my man, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a real honor to have you here. I, I, I feel really blessed. Well, Nikki, I appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. Spout my stuff to, to all your wonderful listeners. Thank you. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Honestly, it's totally my pleasure. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's guest, the one and only G. Michael Hopp, go to gmichaelhop.com. If you want to ask him any questions, send him an email. That information is going to be in the show notes. Buy his books on Amazon. Make sure you buy the end. That is a fantastic book. I swear to God, you won't be able to put it down and you're going to love reading that. So make sure you take advantage of that and to take advantage of all the free resources we've offered, including the free success call, go to eastcircleacademy.com. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.